Hi, welcome to Exploring the Divine Feminine. I am your host, Ramona Sidaway, and this is episode 34. We, I encourage you to go back and listen to this in order, um, part one, part two, and this is part three, the final part. Um, we're talking about wisdom, about the anointing oil, the temple text, and how we can see in the Old Testament, this is just one verse, one scripture that has a strong echo of a mother in heaven and how she is known as wisdom and how we need wisdom in our lives. I have written a book, We Are Adam, The Partnership of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and what it means for you, and you're welcome to check that out. So let's continue on with um, our conversation from part two. We talked about uh, the symbolism of wisdom and the new and everlasting covenant and what that all means. We'll continue on with that. In the book of Ben Sirah, better known as Ecclesiasticus, was written in Jerusalem about 180 BCE. And this is a book from one of the 16 apocryphal books of the Bible that was admitted by the uh, Protestant church in the 1800s. I think I misspoke the last time I talked about um, the book of wisdom and I need to research that a little bit better and see if that was one of the apocryphal books. But Ecclesiasticus was one and it was written by Ben Sirah. In this book, it includes a long poem about wisdom. She stands among the angels and speaks about herself. She's enthroned in a pillar of cloud and given Israel as her inheritance. She had been created in eternity and set to serve in the Holy Tabernacle in Zion. So what this all means is that as late as 200 BC, a female figure was the heavenly archetype of the high priesthood in Jerusalem. So there was a female figure. They called her Asherah. Um, the uh, politically elite during the time of King Josiah, and even before that, in the time of King Hezekiah, they were trying to do this, was wipe out Asherah, wipe out the mother goddess. And um, what we, we don't know exactly what her role was. Um, she, we do know she was uh, revered, that she was part of the temple, um, and that it's very, very strong evidence that she was not the, even though there was a wife of Baal, the Canaanite religion, that it was the appropriate and the correct mother in heaven that was revered in the Israelite religion. And that it was the political and religious elite that were trying to get rid of a lot of things, including the mother in heaven, that tried connecting her with the Canaanite religion and the grove of trees, which is in all of our religion from the Book of Mormon to um, Joseph Smith's first vision. They, um, the, the religious elite, the Deuteronomical, the Deuteronomy writers, um, made it appear by changing um, just one, one letter that these grove of trees were um, male prostitutes, that, that there were not so nice things going on in those grove of trees when it was actually a religious um, and a sacred ground. So we, she was um, a heavenly archetype. She was known in the time of Jerusalem. She took root there as a great tree 
and gave forth the perfume of incense and the perfume of sweet myrrh, which was in the anointing oil. She fed her devotees with her fruit and even with herself, which is a startling image. Um, this is not word for word, um, but this was written in Ben Sirah chapter 24. So there is this whole thing about the trees and about wisdom. And uh, it's been said, well, there's not very, there's not anything about Mother in Heaven. Well, there was a lot more in there. And those books, 16 books, 16 books were taken out of the Bible. And it talked about wisdom. It talked about these trees and how they represented the Mother in Heaven. Wisdom was given with the anointing oil. We talked about this anointing um, in the temple, this anointing of Christ, this an, um, how this anointing oil was mixed with myrrh and was, was known as the essence of the tree of life. Tradition said that the true anointing oil had been hidden just before the destruction of the first temple. In other words, when wisdom left the temple, the true oil was lost. This, this means, uh, oh, the means of resurrection and access to the angel state had gone. The same text says that the high priest was anointed on his eyelids, i.e. to open his spiritual eyes. The Enoch tradition recorded the ancient ritual, how Enoch had stood before the heavenly throne and been anointed, and Enoch was a prophet. The oil was like a bright dew perfumed with sweet myrrh, and it turned Enoch into an angel. We talked about in the last episode how angel is just another name for messenger. So Enoch became God's messenger as his prophet. Then he, meaning Enoch, learned all the secrets of the creation. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians about the fragrance of the knowledge and the sweet perfume of the anointed one. And this is in 2 Corinthians 2, chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. This is what he meant. So it's all there. It's all tied in. You bring it all together in, what, in, in context. Um, we can have so much revealed to us. Another early text, the Clementine Recognitions, says that Peter taught about the oil. Quote, God anointed the sun with oil from the wood of the tree of life. Close quote. Aaron, said Peter, had been anointed with an oil which imitated the heavenly oil. And, open quote, if this temporal grace, compounded by men, had such efficacy, consider how potent was that anointment extracted by God from a branch of the tree of life. Close quote. All these ideas are deeply rooted in the Old Testament, and it just becomes more—it uh, just becomes more exciting because we're studying the Old Testament. And as you go through it, think about that. Read those scriptures with the temple as a temple text. Isaiah's prophecy of the Messiah describes how anointing would transform his mind. This is in Isaiah chapter eleven, verse two. And I'm not sure which translation this is. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear of the Lord. 
familiar words, but how often when we talk of the gifts of the Spirit do we consider that the most important gift of all is the transformation of the mind? I'm quoting Margaret Barker here. And so Isaiah prophesied that the anointed one would no longer judge with human eyes or with human ears. Anointed eyes and anointed ears would see what everyone else saw, but see it differently. Hear what everyone else heard, but hear it differently. And then the anointed one would judge differently and act differently. The English translations of this passage attribute to Isaiah something like, quote, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, close quote, Isaiah 11.3. But what the Hebrew actually says is, his perfume shall be the fear of the Lord. The one whose mind had been transformed brought with him the fragrance of wisdom, what Paul was to call the fragrance of life for life in 2 Corinthians. Now, just going through all of this scriptural language and that, when we bring in woman, um, mother in heaven uh, being referred to as wisdom, and that us as women, um, we pay, we play an important part as wisdom. So we are like Heavenly Mother. We are wisdom. And um, we are part of that binding power of the new and everlasting covenant. You have the priesthood power and you have the female aspect of that priesthood power. The, the male aspect is the uh, covenants that are made available because of one who is ordained with the priesthood. And that is the um, the sealer, um, and that's the, the male part. And the female part is this wisdom, this anointing oil, and both men and women are anointed with, well, we use olive oil, right? But it is symbolic. This is my opinion, what I am getting from, and, and Margaret Barker agrees, and other, script, other um, scriptorians agree, that the holy anointing oil is symbolic of Heavenly Mother. That's the part that she plays in the temple. Also, symbolically speaking, that's not the only symbolism of the um, of the anointing oil because we also think of Jesus Christ um, when he, through the atonement, he was in the wine press. It was like he was being squeezed in the wine press. Um, the olive tree is prominent in the Book of Mormon in the, um, isn't it in Jacob? In the Book of Jacob was the allegory of the olive tree. And it's, the olive tree is nurturing. And we know the big part of that symbolism is that it represents Israel, represents the church. It represents us, right? It also it represents Heavenly Mother and all of her children that um, when they do not pay attention to their divine feminine, this, these are my opinions now that I'm giving, this is how I read it, um, when they let go of that divine feminine, when they try to erase that and take out the most important essential elements of the temple, which, number one, they took out the element of the high priest of Jesus Christ as the high priest. Um, it, the tree begins to die. Mother in heaven is so, so tied to the sun. 
and so many things in um, in art and sculptures when we see this of how I mean there are many paintings that have Jesus Christ in a tree and we know that also represents the cross but it also represents um, Mary it represents mother in heaven and all of these things a lot of these things were lost but it was they were kept within the early Christian church now the Catholic church and but the complete meaning is lost um, I've talked before about how we don't um, believe in Mariology but when we study the Book of Mormon and that tree of life vision but the, that both Nephi and his father Lehi had and Nephi was told the very first thing he was told was the meaning of that tree that it represented Mary and that the fruit of the tree represented her son Jesus Christ and when we partake is we don't partake of the tree itself it, but we partake of the fruit and that fruit is Jesus Christ um, that whole thing is a temple text as well so Mary is the mother of the Son of God in the flesh and he specifically says that because um, there is a mother of the Son of God in the spirit as well well she has a, a body of flesh and bone but the mother of his 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 spirit body and Jesus Christ as we know is so unique because he had a, a mortal mother and he was also physically um, he was not only the spiritual son of Heavenly Father but the physical son of Heavenly Father and so I look at that story I look at that vision and Lehi and Nephi would have known um, what that meant the the guide when he was talking to Nephi he assumed that that Nephi understood who Mary was um, who that woman was that he would understand that context of showing this woman because that would have still been fresh in his mind um, even though he was younger but also in his father's mind because the temple was beginning to be changed um, the mother the trees were being ripped out from and purged from the temple and things were being changed and part of that restoration of keeping alive was when they came to the new world having that vision and the first thing that Nephi did was build a temple and it was after the um, it it would have had the original um, the original meanings in there so they had this they had in their culture and in their belief system about Asher about the the divine feminine about the trees and about the anointing oil about the high priest and the day of atonement um, it is so telling that when Nephi went to go back to get the brass plates from Laban that his servant said well he's out well he thought that Nephi was Laban right and he was talking about how he knew he was out at night with the elders 
So they were meeting at night under the cover of darkness. There was already so much corruption going on. Why else would Lehi's life be in danger? Why else would they need to leave? There had already been refugees that had left because they were being persecuted during King Josiah's time. And they, they'd escaped to Egypt, most of them, a lot of them. Um, and the fact that uh, um, Sariah called Lehi a visionary man, he admitted that because um, they were denying prophecy by that time. And anybody who was saying that they still had prophecy, they were still receiving visions as Lehi was, um, they were being killed. They were being systematically hunted and killed. And part of what they took out was that divine feminine, which we see in the Book of Mormon that um, Lehi knew and the spirit was telling him this needs to be kept in the divine feminine. And that's we see that in the symbolism of the tree. Um, we see those symbolisms in uh, groves. And I love that we as women are now witnesses that we are not able to be witnesses to priesthood ordinances such as uh, temple ceilings, baptisms, confirmations. And if you look at how Mother in Heaven is, um, is symbolized in the Tree of Life, that's one of the symbols of the Tree of Life, right? And how she and women are witnesses to very important uh, ordinances. Look at the waters of Mormon. It was in a grove of trees. The trees were all around as witnesses. Um, the first vision of uh, Joseph Smith, he was in a grove of trees. There were witnesses. Um, it was symbolic of the divine feminine right there. Um, when uh, Jacob, he and Abraham, whenever they found a sacred spot, they would either... Uh, um, put up an altar next to a grove of trees, or they would plant trees there. And when Jacob left Israel, when he was going to Egypt to live with his, um, his son that they had just discovered was alive, Joseph, who was sold into Egypt, they stopped at that grove of trees, that sacred spot and that altar and um, worshiped there. So a grove of trees was tried to, it was um, demonized by the biblical editors. And those grove of trees was very a big part of the divine feminine and as witnesses. And so we are witnessing in our day and age, incredible amount of restoration um, that we are on the, on the, female power is now being unveiled, has now been unveiled, that we are now physical witnesses of priesthood ordinances. We have to look past the just the mere physical policy and look into the sacred symbolism of all of that. Trees are incredibly sacred, olive trees especially, almond trees. And when there is anointing that is involved. Anointing oil comes from a tree, from an olive tree. And um, the actual tree itself, I believe, is 
one of the huge symbolisms of that is the Divine Feminine and the Heavenly Mother. And the uh, fruit of that tree, that oil, is also represented um, by Jesus Christ. We are anointed. And when we are anointed, we become his sons and his daughters. And our eyes are meant to be opened. We are now able to see things and be given additional power. An endowment is a gift so that we can continue to carry on. We now have that wisdom. We needed that anointing, that wisdom, as we travel back on that path, back to our heavenly parents. We do this through Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, I have really loved this topic. I will continue on with some of the research um, in the future that um, I ha will have that I have in my book. I am outlining it and um, cleaning it up, and I'm just kind of going, just sharing all of that research that I have gleaned. Um, while I about this book and about Heavenly Mother, about the Divine Feminine. I am so grateful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Things have not always... Uh, church history has been messy, uh, good times and bad. It doesn't take away the truthfulness. Um, if a prophet makes a mistake in their personal lives, or even if something that has been said from the pulpit has, um, through like Joseph Smith or Brigham Young, things that have been practiced in the past that we don't understand, we don't completely agree with, that doesn't take away from the sacredness of that mantle of a prophet. It doesn't take away that they, they were prophets, but they were human too. Um, Joseph Smith had a temper. Brigham Young had a temper. And, um, and I'm sure they weren't happy about that. I'm sure they weren't. And even, you know, Joseph Smith, he was, he was very open about his faults and he tried to work on them and to become a better person. And we saw the growth and progression of his role as a prophet and as a man, um, throughout the church history. I do believe in prophets. I believe that we are guided by a living prophet today. I um, have a testimony of, of the Book of Mormon, of Jesus Christ, and that I have um, a very, that divine feminine has a very big part to play in my life, and that the Spirit is guiding me through this, that uh, Jesus Christ is guiding me through this. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram, Ramona Sidaway Author. Uh, you can join my private Facebook group, Exploring the Divine Feminine, on, um, and you can find me at RamonaSidaway.com. That's my website. I write at Medium.com, and um, occasionally you can find an article on the Meridian Magazine. I will let you know, and enjoy my... Um, join my email list and I send out a, a monthly author newsletter just telling you the things that have been going on, the articles I've written, um, links to past podcasts and the like, and you will be the first to know when the book is released. Thank you again for joining me and have a